Hello, and welcome to another edition of Forrester's CX Cast. Each week, we speak with an analyst from the customer experience team about their research or discuss a customer experience topic in the news. Along with my co-host, analyst Diana Lawfer, my name is Sam Stern. You will hear both of our voices each week. Hello, everyone, and welcome to another episode of Forrester CX Cast. I am joined, as always, by my co-host, Diana Laufer. Hi, everyone. This week, we have a special guest, a returning guest, our former colleague, and now a uh, principal at West Monroe Partners, Paul Hagen. Hello, Paul. Hey, Sam and Deanna. Thanks for having me again. Yeah, of course. Thanks for returning. This time, we wanted to speak with you about voice of customer programs. And um, we've got a few questions for you and interested to hear about what you're seeing in your work with clients on voice of customer. Fantastic. First, Paul, just wondering if you can share with us some of the shortfalls you're seeing in today's voice of customer programs. Well, I would say I would say probably the biggest one is a lot of them haven't really gotten past what I would call a foundational stage. So what you see is a lot of survey-based questionnaires. They, mm. they can often be long in length. They can often be very internally centric. I tell every customer experience leader I come across, take every single survey you get now because everyone gets a whole bunch of them. And, and, and I basically say, hey, take, take these things because they give you a really great view into how sophisticated the other company is in terms of listening to customers and understanding. If you take a survey and you find that it all has very little to do with your actual experience, but has a lot more to do with the channel you came through or things that are specific to their end, but failed to capture the experience you actually had, you've got a pretty immature program on the other side. How are you seeing voice of customer programs changing? I think one, again, the, the ones that are that have been doing it a little bit longer and they're getting a little bit more sophisticated, they're starting to shorten their journeys or shorten the questionnaires. So you get, you know, five or six, seven questions rather than a laundry list of 25 or 30. They're starting to add open ends and use text mining to really get a sense of what the customer's thinking about and the words that they're using. I see companies using multiple technologies. It could be community platforms like a lithium, you know, where you've got a lot of customer conversation going on. It could be doing voice to text and mining really the gold mine you have in your contacts. And there's a lot of really rich conversations that are happening there. And then, then I'm starting to see, I haven't seen a ton of this, but certainly the vendors are talking about and some of the capabilities are coming around around predictive. So mm. you could actually marry some operational data. I know what people are doing. I've got a low response rate in general, but if I get you know three responses and I've got you know some behavioral data, I can look at the patterns in the behavioral data and project out that if I had a couple people with bad experiences that are similar, um, and I hear that through my voice of the customer program, I can almost predict out who else might be detractors based on their, their pattern. So the theme running through a lot of that is reduce the lifting, the load, the requirement on your customers, right? Fewer questions, using more of the feedback they're already giving you, using you know, projecting from a few surveys or data points to what other customers who you have some information about might think and feel about something so that you don't have to ask as many questions of as many people. Absolutely. Making it easier for the customer, but also then getting more accurate assessments rather than internal assessments of, you know, what we care to find out about. And I think what's nice about that as well is it's not saying, well, we're going to diminish what we know. 
or the number of insights we have, it's we're going to make better use of all the data that we have and make better use of emerging technologies, right? Like text analytics, like some of these predictive analytics and, and tools that allow us to have more insight from some of the existing data we already have. You know, we talked about these different data sources other than um, surveys, but just because you are measuring voice of the customer doesn't mean, um, through these other sources, doesn't mean you necessarily have a mature program. You could be doing text analytics, you could be doing social listening, but maybe you're not actually doing anything with the insights. So how would you define what a mature voice of the customer program actually does look like? You know, I think it's got a, a number of different aspects to it. You know, when I talk about the technologies, that's really just about the listening portion of it. And you guys write about uh -huh. this, you know, as well. You know, there's there's multiple different stages. There's there's listening, there's analyzing, there's taking action on those things. So, you know, I kind of look at all of those different areas when I, when I look at maturity. So I look at the maturity of the listening, first of all. Then I want to look at the maturity of the analysis. Do you have a team that's doing, you know, reasonable analysis and root cause? Um, mm -hmm. What customers say and what they actually mean and what they do can be really, really different things. Mm -hmm. I was talking with a leader of Hilton recently who, uh, you know, who, who said, hey, we listen to a lot of customer sites, but sometimes, um, you know, what customers, you know, they're maybe annoyed, but kind of minor annoyances as opposed to other things which are really major and cause them to leave the organization. So there's some really nice analysis on what's just a minor annoyance and, you know, kind of um, simple things versus what are really these big moment types of things. I would say another giant piece is the governance around it. Is what kind of action are you taking those insights and driving it to action? I talked with a lot of insights people who, you know, are pulling out their hair because they know a lot about the customer, but they can't get anyone to do it across the organization. So, you know, driving those root causes and those, you know, kind of key things into um, action. Some of the more sophisticated companies, we were working with a credit card company in the East Coast, its entire project management office is now not just you know, running projects, but they're using voice of the customer data. They've done some analysis around and understood, you know, kind of the key drivers of, of their rela relationship net promoter score and aligning their, um, their very, you know, multi-million dollar strategic investment fund towards things that will move that uh, relationship net promoter up and down. Pro they're making projects, project investment decisions based on that. You know, so that's, to me, that's a level of sophistication that you don't often have. I mean, many companies are just, I may be doing a lot of listening, but it's, you know, every single department is, has got their own listening program. There's nothing coordinated. I don't have a sense of, you know, I've got apples and oranges all across the company. I can't get a holistic part. So, you know, looking at that governance structure becomes not only how, how is the program structured, but then how are they driving actions or, you know, two telltale signs of a group that's sophisticated versus not. Yeah, absolutely. And the other question I get from our clients a lot is, okay, we have all of this listening data that's coming in, but how do we actually prioritize and make sense of it? And I would say that's probably got to be a homework of a mature organization. How yeah, have you seen that done well? There's a sweet spot, which surprisingly how few companies have gotten it yet, but correlating high-level customer experience metrics with financial results. Mm -hmm. Net relationship, net promoter, or Forrester's customer experience index, or, you know, our e measurement that I'm taking, how does that um, correlate or cause future um, performance with customers, whether that's, you know, through cross-sells or increased transaction volume, you know, those types of things. So I think, you know, and again, this kind of goes back to, you know, the, the conversation I had with the hotel chain recently, which is, you know, not all, oh, look, there's a thousand things that I can do to give to customers. It's customer experience isn't about doing everything that customers want. 
it's making sure you're nailing the things that are most important to them and you know more to you know balancing that with businesses you know what's good for the business as well the companies that have done that financial correlation and know what uh, you know what really drives that those you know that that relationship up and what undermines it that's really important and you're right i don't think many i was just talking with uh, um, airbnb recently you know, is, is, is working on that, but they haven't quite gotten it yet, right? There's the, you know, it's, it's, it's hard to do. Most companies that I talk with, it takes a good year, year and a half of looking at historical data to really nail that. I think we alluded to this already, but how then would a mature voice of the customer program help advance a firm's customer experience? Well, I, again, I think it starts making yeah. priorities. So there's lots of things that a company can do. I find it most interesting, where does a company spend its money? So yeah. you've got you know, if you've, you've got a thousand competing projects, you know, you've got limited resources, which ones should you do? And uh, the question is now, is the customer experience a strategic priority in the company? And if it is, then my customer experience, my voice of the customer program and those metrics ought to be driving the discussion of what projects am I putting forward and putting money into? Not just projects and money, but people, resources and, as a whole. Mm -hmm. um, what capabilities do I need? And again, do I, am I spending the money to build those capabilities? So I think, I think if you've got a good program, if it's, you know, when it's, when it's tied to financial results, you get people's attention a lot faster. And if you've got a really good mature program, it's starting to drive those, those resource allocation priorities across the company. Yeah, I think that's a really good point, right? That there's, there's probably actually a lot of things you could do that people might either think would improve the customer experience. I think people would want, they sound appealing or sound like no-brainers um, or that actually even if you ran the numbers might show some positive return but it's really about trying to um, be guided by customer feedback to say these are the things that really matter these are the things that are really pain points for customers or really are uh, gaps in the experience that customers need and want and expect and I think that's uh, to your point Paul that's where a voice of customer program can, can guide companies but also can um, inject some um, you, you know, some, some real good feedback, right? Some data, some, some actual evidence to support the case rather than, a, you know, devolving into um, my pet project and my opinion about it against your pet project and your opinion about it. I think that's a huge problem. I think there's a lot of pet projects. Even senior leadership has a lot of those. Uh, um, yes. I, you know, I was, I was laughing. I was talking with a healthcare company just this morning, you know, and someone had a decision of, you know, putting, you know, investing, a, uh, I think it was $100,000 on Swedish fish and fish tanks, some of their uh, healthcare providing facilities, you know, and, and, you know, we all had a good laugh about it. Um, because that's, you know, out of all of the things that are broken and, in, 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 you know, the health, the patient experience, getting Swedish fish is probably not the, <laughs> the best investment of $100,000. You know, I always love what David Shapiro over, uh, you know, customer experience leader over at United know, Health used to say. He said, you know, look, there's white chips and blue chips in poker. You know, white chips are worth a dollar and blue chips are $25. You can spend a lot of energy and good, in good, good, you know, intentions um, on those white chip moments, but you know, you blow the blue chips, you know, and that's where the, the value of the relationship and your brand affinity and your advocacy, you know, can disappear. <laughs> you know, while, while it seems you're like super busy and you got a thousand projects, you know, they're just all white chips, you know, and you're missing the blue yeah, chip. That's right. That's, I think that's, I think that's a great, uh, Great example, great anecdote to end on. Paul, thank you again for, for joining us and record another episode of CXCast with us to share your examples, your insights, your thoughts on voice of customer programs. We really appreciate it. And um, listeners, thank you for joining us for another episode as well. 
Thank you for listening to this week's CX Cast. We'll post links to the reports we mentioned in the show notes for this podcast. And if you have questions or suggestions, please contact me at s-s-t-e-r-n at forrester.com. And remember, your customer's perception is your CX reality. 